You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. As we continue this series through the Bible, we're going to finish up on the Pentateuch, or what the Hebrews call the Torah, the law, but the first five books of the Bible that were written by Moses. Now, what I did appreciate is one of our teenagers, uh, Jillian, had a question at one point, and I can't remember exactly when it came up, but she asked the question, I think it was in Sunday school, uh, and this was a long time ago then, but she asked, uh, the end of the book of Deuteronomy, spoiler alert, Moses dies, And uh, so how did Moses write about his death? That's a really good question. Well, somebody else wrote that part. Uh, So let's go ahead over the basics, the basic information of the book of Deuteronomy like we have so far. So the date written was about 1400 BC, and it covered the time period from 1450 BC 233 AD, and again, we're dealing with more laws here, more laws that were not done away with until the Lord Jesus died. The author is Moses, and at least one more, and if we're going to look at who Moses is close to, and especially who probably wrote the next book of the Bible, it's more than likely Joshua, who helped uh, write that ending of Moses' life Uh, And in this case, Deuteronomy chapter 34. And the audience, of course, is the nation of Israel. The book of Deuteronomy contains Moses' last address to the nation of Israel. And it is right after the wilderness wanderings, the 40 years in the wilderness, and right before they are going to cross into Jordan and go into the promised land, the land of Canaan. We'll have a brief word of prayer, and we will continue. Father, help us as we study this book, and not only to see the information that it gives, but to see the application that comes from it. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right. Perfect. Okay. So it can be divided into three main parts. And part one is from chapters 1 to 11. And this really contains Moses' challenge to this new generation. Chapters 1 through 11 is Moses' challenge to the new generation. Part 2 is from chapters 12 through 26. And this contains a, a large collection of laws that many of us get lost in as we're reading it. But this collection of laws is specifically given to this new generation and it's applied to how they are going to use these laws and obey these laws in Canaan. And then it ends with part three, which is chapters 27 through 34, which is Moses' farewell to this new generation. Now, we can in no way go into a deep study of the book of Deuteronomy, especially part two, uh, chapters 12 through 26. But that is not to say that that part of the book is not important. In fact, part two, chapters 12 through 26, are the most important, uh, important part of the book by far. And that's where this book gets its name. Deuteronomy, second law, is what Deuteronomy means. Now, it doesn't, it's not called the second law in the fact that this is a 
new law or a replacement law for the one that was given in Exodus and then even a little bit in Leviticus. That's not it at all. It's called second law because it is the second giving of the law to this new generation. And that is why the majority of the laws that are talked about are, are not new. Some of them are new, but the majority of them are just repeated from Exodus and Leviticus. And it's so that they can be reminded of them and see how they're going to apply them in their lives in this new place of Canaan. So part two is very important. And we're going to highlight certain parts of that. We're going to talk about uh, some things to remember while you're reading these laws in part number two. Uh, I'll give you some tips about it so that we can better understand what's going on. But parts one and three are really where we're going to spend most of our time. And if you want to write this down, this is just a snapshot of it. Part one, chapters one through 11, effectively introduces part two by calling the new generation to see the faithlessness of their past, to see the disobedience that their fathers had. And Moses is challenging them, don't be like your fathers. Don't make that same mistake. That is what he's going to do in chapters 1 through 11. Chapters 12 through 26, he's going to show them what you should be obeying. It's one thing to say, be obedient, unlike your fathers. But here's specifically what you need to be obeying. And that is what the collection of the laws is for in 12 through 26. And then part three is he's going to show the consequence of obedience and disobedience. And that's how he concludes it all. So let's start with part one, as if we would start with anything else. Chapters 1 through 11. So let's turn to Deuteronomy, if you are not there already. And we are going to read just the first five verses to give us a little bit of an intro here. These be the words which Moses spake unto all Israel on this side Jordan in the wilderness, in the plain over against the Red Sea between Paran and Tophel and Laban and Hazaroth and Dezihab. These are 11 days journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir into Kadesh Barnea. Catch that. From Mount Horeb or from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, 11 days. It took them 40 years. It should only have taken them 11 days. It took them 40 years. Okay. Verse 3, And it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spake unto the children of Israel, according unto all that the Lord had given him in commandment unto them. After he had slain Sihon, the king of the Amorites, which dwelt in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, that dwelt in Ashtaroth, in Edrei, on this side, Jordan, in the land of Moab, began Moses to declare this law, saying. So, chapters 1 through 3, Moses is going to retell the story of Israel so far. And chapter 1 is covering from their history from the time at Mount Sinai, or Horeb, to Kadesh Barnea. Okay? That 11-day journey is what it should have been. And he highlights in verse 6 through 8 God's direction through it all. God has led you every step of the way. He's been there at every step and at every stop. You know how the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord? The stops of a good man are ordered by the Lord as well. Um, he is not only going to show you where to go, he's going to show you where not to go. And that is what Moses is bringing out. Verse 9 through 12, he, he highlights God's blessing. And uh, it, how Moses brings out how God has blessed them is he says, it got to the point where I couldn't handle you. You, you grew to such a large group. I could not handle you on my own. And that's saying something because that is a part of God's promise to them. You were in Egypt and he, he mentions you came to Egypt 
with 70 people in your family. And now there's 600,000 soldiers in your family. Uh, and, it, and it grew to that point that I, I couldn't, look at how much God has blessed you. He continues uh, about God's government over it all, how there were judges appointed. And then he reminds them, you remember how God commanded you to go in when we came to Kadesh Barnea in the first place, and he told you to go in and take the promised land, but you disobeyed. You disobeyed in verse 22 and 23. And it's interesting how Deuteronomy uh, chapter 1 brings out the fact that it was not God's plan to send those 12 spies. It was the people's plan to do that. The people came up to Moses and said, let's send spies before we go over. And Moses even said, okay, that, that plan pleases me well. And we see the trouble that came from that. God had told them, just go. And they said, well, let's be careful first. Hey, when God tells you to go, you just go. Just go and trust and, and, and obey him. Um, so the spies, of course, discouraged the people. The, pe the people complained. Moses tried to encourage them, but the people did not believe. They did not believe that God could deliver them that land, even though he told them that he would. And so God's punishment came. Uh, that generation, their father's generation, would die in the wilderness. And then Israel's second rebellion came, and they tried to conquer the land anyway. And what does it bring? Defeat and death. And he ends the chapter by saying, we spent many days in Kadesh. That many days is defined in chapter 2, verse 14. That's 38 years. 38 years they spent in Kadesh Barnea, just wandering around in that wilderness. Many days indeed. Chapter 2 covers the time from Kadesh Barnea to a place called Heshbon. And it talks about how they go through the land of Edom, and they go through the land of Moab, they go through the land of Ammon, obviously enemies of them. And lands where there were a lot of giants and there were a lot of opportunities for them to engage in a battle that would have been very hard to win. Now, obviously, we know God is on their side, but just looking at it practically with the giants that are there in the land, it, it's formidable foes that they're dealing with here. But notice with me that there are no battles with any of those nations, none with Edom, none with Moab, none with Ammon. However, it talks about in verse 24 through 27, when they came into the land of Heshbon, that they were going to battle with Sihon, uh, the king, uh, Sihon the Amorite, and he was the king of Heshbon. And he says, you are going to battle with him, and here's why. He says in verse 25, this day will I begin to put the dread of thee and the fear of thee upon the nations that are under the whole heaven, who shall hear report of thee and shall tremble and be in anguish because of thee. Now that they're coming out of their wilderness wanderings, the Lord is going to start making them a name. He's going to start bringing them a reputation that they are a land uh, that can fight and that can um, take over land. And victory, of course, is given by God. But really, the key point of this chapter is given in chapter 2, verse 7. And look at what he says. For the Lord thy God hath blessed thee in all the works of thy hand. He knoweth thy walking through this great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord thy God hath been with thee. Thou hast lacked nothing. Moses was pointing out, even surrounded by all of these enemies, 40 years in the wilderness, and even though you're, you're in a time of punishment right now, God has still been there for you, and he's taken care of you every single step of the way. That leads into chapter 3, which is the time of Heshbon from Beth Peor. Again, this is all history that he's, he's retelling here. In verse 1 through 11, he's talking about how there was victory over the king uh, uh, King Og of Bashan. And the Bible tells us that King Og was a giant 
himself and they find victory over him. Well, why is that an important detail? Well, that tells us, obviously, the fear that they had to begin with of giants being unbeatable was mistaken. Yes, you can beat giants it's, if the Lord is on your side. Um, so, oh, let me see here. I think I moved this too quickly. Yes, all right. And then uh, verse 12 through 22 is really a review of Numbers 32, where after they defeat uh, that, those Midianites and the Amorites there on the east side of Jordan, the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh want to settle there. And they said, we have a lot of cattle, and this is a place for cattle, so can we just settle here? And he talks, to, uh, he talks about that. Uh, he talks about, he says, well, if you're going to do that, you definitely need to go over and fight. And then another detail that this chapter gives us is Moses actually appeals to the Lord and asks for forgiveness for what he had done at the, at the rock. And uh, God says, no. God says, no, you, you disobeyed me, and you... Um, you did not sanctify me before the people. You will not go over into Canaan. Don't ask me about it again. But here's what I do promise. Joshua will go over with them. And remember, in Numbers, that was very important to Moses. We saw God's order in Numbers. We saw the need for authority and submission to that authority. So when God first told Moses, you are not going to go over, he said, just make sure, Lord, please assure me that they will have a leader. Assure me that there will be order and authority there. And he said, well, that's what Joshua is for. So in these first three chapters, we have a reminder of Israel's rebellious history up until this point. And yet God has remained faithful the entire time. Chapters 4 through 11, Moses calls for this new generation, don't do that. Don't keep doing what your fathers did. They are all dead and they are all gone. You don't do that. Don't make that same mistake. Chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Now, therefore, so this is a transition. Now, therefore, because of everything we just talked about, you hearken, hearken, O Israel, hear what I am about to tell you, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them that ye may live, and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. And verse 1 through 6 of chapter 4 introduce two key themes that I want you to write down and remember. Two key themes that are going to be traced throughout the entire book. Verse 3 and 4 talk about really the first key theme. In verse 3, Moses is telling them, you have seen what happened to your fathers, and he brings up a specific time. You have seen what happened to your fathers at Baal Peor. Baal Peor is when, after Balaam blessed them, he wasn't able to curse them, they started mingling with the Amorites. They started mingling with the heathen around them, and the Lord sent a curse. And it wasn't stopped until Phineas actually kills a, a couple that was sinning in, in open and in public in front of them. And the plague was stayed. And he reminds them of that. He says, you remember what happens to your fathers and how God destroyed them. And then in verse 4, you are here today. You are alive today because you did not make that choice. You chose to cleave unto the Lord. So here is key theme number one. You have a choice to make. And he is going to bring that out throughout the rest of the book. You have a choice to make. You can either choose to obey, and when you obey, you will have life and you will have blessings. Or you can choose to disobey, 
And when you disobey, you will have cursing and you will have death. And Moses is going to build off of this theme from this point on. And he'll mention a time period in their history. He'll remind them of an old law or he'll tell them of a new law. And then scattered throughout the book, there's going to be a verse that reminds them of this theme of obedience leading to life and disobedience leading to death. And we're going to see it all throughout. Key theme number two is covered in verse five and six. And he brings out this choice not only affects you, it's going to affect all nations. So key theme number one, you have a choice to make. Obedience, life and blessing. Disobedience, cursing and death. And this choice not only affects you, it's going to affect all nations. And he brings that up in verse five and six. Obedience to God's law is going to bring other nations to see you and see how you are living differently and holier than them and a holy life compared to their heathen life and that is going to bring them in to want to know why. And we heard about this this morning when Brother Rusty preached. So because of these two key themes, he continues in chapter uh, 4 in verse 17 through 24 and he says, Be sure you teach these laws to the next generation. Teach them to your sons. Teach them to your son's sons so that they can be blessed so that they can obey as well, and other nations in their generation can also see how you are supposed to live. And you can see a perfect, a perfect example of how Moses refers to the, the key themes here in the rest of chapter 4. The first thing he brings up in verse 15 through 26, he says, don't serve idols. That Why? Because that would be direct disobedience against what God has told you to do. And I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, is what he says in verse 26. Look at that. Don't worship idols. That would be direct disobedience. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that ye shall soon utterly perish from off the land. If you choose to do that, if you choose to disobey, you will soon utterly perish from the land. That is always the result of disobedience. Now, if we learned anything from about, uh, about God so far, we have learned that even in punishment, he is incredibly merciful. And uh, he highlights that in verse 27 through 39. Uh, and he reminds them of God's forgiveness and mercy and love and sovereignty. And this all leads up to verse 40. Look what Moses tells them. Thou shalt keep therefore his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee this day, that it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee, and that thou mayest prolong thy days upon the earth, which the Lord thy God giveth thee forever. Now, let's talk about that for just a little bit. When God says that obedience brings life, what is he talking about? He's not only talking about breath and just living itself. Obviously, God wants us to have life. But when Moses is bringing out to them, obedience brings life. He's telling them God not only wants you to be alive, he wants you to be alive for a long time. And he uses terms like that thou mayest prolong thy days or that thy days may be long upon the earth, that thou may live long upon the earth. Sound familiar to you, right? But then he goes further than that. He says, not only does he want you to live and he wants you to live long, he wants you to live good and long. And that's why he uses terms like that it may be well with thee. 
Okay, and we're gonna see we're gonna see a perfect example of that coming up soon. So all of what has led up to this point and all that follows is really summed up in this. Okay, disobedience always leads to death, but that is not God's desire. God's desire is for us to live. And not only live, but to live long and to live good and long. But that comes through obedience and whose choice is it to obey? It's ours. Okay, so that is what Moses is trying to bring out. God doesn't wish death on anybody. Look in verse 41 through 43. What is God talking about? Cities of refuge. So that even people who have accidentally murdered somebody else can go and find sanctuary. So that they don't die uh, by, the, by the hand of the avenger, right? Uh, God doesn't want people to die. But then what does it talk about through the rest of the chapter? He talks about Egypt. And he talks about Ammon. And he talks about all these heathen lands. So God wants you to live. When you obey, um, he, will, he will protect you. He will, he will bring that long, good life to you. But when the choice has been made to reject him, like Egypt and like all of those other heathen lands, well, death comes from that. Uh, and punishment comes from that, okay? So chapter 5 is a reminder because what these Israelites might be saying right now is this is... This seems difficult, okay? This seems like a big responsibility. So Moses is going to remind them in chapter 5, how did all of this covenant begin? And he tells them in verse 1 through 22, and he reminds them of the entire Sinai experience. How, and he, he quotes the Ten Commandments again. And how God appeared in the thunder and the cloud and the storm and the smoke and fire upon Mount Sinai. And they wouldn't even go up to the mountain. God said, come up to the mountain, it's time now. And they said, no, he, he's scary. So they stayed down and God tells them, listen, this is the covenant that I want to bring to you. I want you to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And Moses reminds them, you are the ones that agreed to it. You are the ones that said yes. Sign us up for that. Whatever God says, we will do. You are the ones that agreed to that in the first place. Look in verse 27 through 29. Go thou near and hear all that the Lord our God. This, this is the people speaking to Moses. Uh, hear all that the Lord our God shall say. Speak thou unto us that the Lord our God shall speak unto thee, and we will hear it and do it. And the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spake unto me. And the Lord said unto me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken unto thee. They have well said all that they have spoken. Oh, that there were such an heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always. Why? That it might be well with them and with their children forever. And then Moses says, because you agreed to this covenant, that's why God gave us the rest of the book of Exodus. That's why we built the tabernacle. That's why Leviticus is there. Because when you agreed to this, there has to be something to agree to. You have to be taught how to follow that agreement. So that's where all of these laws came from. Don't complain about these laws. These laws are because you agreed to this in the first place. And then look at how he ends it in verse 32. Ye shall observe to do therefore as the Lord your God has commanded you. Ye shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. And look at this here. Ye shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God hath commanded you, that ye may, number one, live. Number two, that it may be well with you. And number three, that ye may prolong your days in the land which ye shall possess. I want you to live. I want you to live long. And I want you to live good and long. 
That is God's desire throughout all of this. Chapter 6 gives them practical ways to keep this going, to be obedient through it all. Uh, it also warned them of perils that would come, that would keep them from obedience. And the practical obedience is first given here in verses 1 through 9. And look especially in verse 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. This was actually a song. This was a poem of sorts that from this point on, the... Uh, Israelites would recite to, the, to themselves every morning and every evening. And in fact, they still do it today. It's called the Shema because Shema means listen, okay? And, uh, or it means hear, okay? So, and what is the first word of verse 4? Hear, okay? Uh, so this Shema was a practical way of them to remember our call to obedience. The Lord our God is one Lord and we need to love him with all our heart, all our soul, and with all our mind. But then other ways that they could be practically reminded to obey. He says, talk about it. Talk about it to your children. When you sit down, when you rise up, as you walk by the way, talk about it. He says, why don't you write it in places and, and you could bind it upon your hand and you can bind it upon between your eyes. Have you ever seen pictures of rabbis and Jews over in Israel and they have this box right above on their forehead and it has scripture in it. And they, they took it from this. Well, it's kind of hard. You know how sometimes you wrap a string around your finger because you don't want to forget something? Well, it's kind of hard to forget something when you strap it to your forehead like a headlamp every single day. Uh, but it was a practical way for them to remember. Or sometimes you walk up and you go to knock on a door for soul winning and you see something posted on the door. Uh, it's a little, and it has Hebrew writing on it. Well, what does the Bible say them in, in verse 9? Thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house. And on thy gates. These are practical ways for you to remember the law and that you are called to obey. But then he starts talking about the perils of this. If you do not follow these practical ways and if you do not keep obedience in the forefront of, their, of your mind, there's going to be a lot of things that come that are going to try to get you to forget. And he talks about prosperity first in verse 10 through 12. It says, you may get into Canaan and the Lord blesses you and you're rich and you have all of this land that's flowing with milk and honey and before you know it, you forgot that the Lord brought you there in the first place. Don't do that. Keep obeying him. Remember that obedience brought you there in the first place and disobedience can take you out just as much as obedience brought you in. So he talks about prosperity. He talks about idolatry. God is the one who brought you in, not false idols of the Canaanites that you are going to see. So when you go there and you see these idols, get rid of them. Take them down, burn them completely. And he talks about adversity. It won't always be easy. And he even reminds them, he says, you remember what happened in Massah? And he says, do not do as your fathers did. Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massah. He says in verse 16, that's talking about Exodus 17, verse 1 through 7. When they're going through and there's no water and they say, is the Lord God among us or not? Why? Because there's adversity that has come. So he's bringing, listen, it's not always going to be easy, but don't do what your fathers did when they had the nerve to say, is God among us or not? Of course he's among you. He's the one that has brought you here in the first place and he can bring you through a little adversity as well. Uh, there's going to be enemies as well, he brings up. Well, drive them out. Drive them out. The Lord is with you. Drive them out. And the chapter ends with verse 20 through 25 and he's basically telling them, when your children ask what all of this is about, Tell them what God has done. Tell them how God has brought us through it all for our good always that he might preserve us alive 
as it is at this day. Chapter 7, I got 10 minutes here and then I'll, I'll be done. So I'm only going to get through part 1. Yeah, part 1. Chapter 7 elaborates on how to deal with these perils to obedience that was brought out in verse 6. And I, I hope this helps you. I hope you see, you, maybe you've read, you've read Deuteronomy before and it just didn't seem to be linear and have a flow to it. It does. It very much has, has a flow to it. He, um, and I hope that we've seen it up until this far. So in chapter 6, he talks to them about there's going to be perils to disobedience. There's going to be idolatry and adversity and prosperity. So chapter 7, he's going to deal with those. Here's some practical ways to make sure that prosperity doesn't distract you and adversity doesn't distract you and idolatry doesn't distract you. So in chapter 7, in the first part, he's going to talk about idolatry. And he basically says you're going to run into the Hittites and the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Perizzites. When the Lord shall deliver them before thee, in verse 2, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Don't make any covenant with them. Show no mercy to them. Make no marriages with them. They will turn you away from following me. So don't have any mercy on them. And then look in verse uh, 4. If they turn you away, that ye may serve other gods, so will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. Well, that, seem hard, that seems harsh. No, that's disobedience. Disobedience brings that. But thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars, break down their groves, everything that has to do with their idolatry. Just get rid of it. There can't be idolatry if there's no idols. Just get rid of it all. Then he talks about adversity, uh, I believe here. Yes, let's see here. No, he talks about prosperity next in verse 7 through 16. Um, and he reminds them and he says, listen, you have come this far not because you were mighty. He says, God didn't choose you because you were the mightiest people. You were the smallest out of all the people. God chose you because he loved you. That's why he chose you. And that is why you have come this far is because God has loved you and cared for you. So stay obedient and stay humble and he will continue to bless you. That is why you have come this far. And note that when Moses says he will bless you, look at how he says they're going to be blessed in verse 13 and 14. Read all those different ways and notice how all of them have to do with life. How is God going to bring blessing to your obedience? With life. And he says, you're going, there's going to be fruit of the womb. There's going to be fruit of the land. There's going to be fruit as far as your cattle are concerned. They're going to multiply. There's going to be no barren wombs among you. There's going to be no sickness. I'll remove all the sickness. I'll remove all the diseases. I'm going to take death away and bless you with life as long as you obey. Okay? Uh, but then in 17 through 26, he talks about adversity. And he brings up the fact in verse 17, If thou shalt say in thine heart, these nations are more than I, how can I dispossess them? So perhaps because they weren't as mighty as other nations, and they were the minority as they go into Canaan, they would begin to wonder, how can we ever defeat all of these other nations? And Moses just says, well, what have you done up till this point? You rely on God. And you let him fight for you. He brings the victory. And when he does, get rid of the idols. And he reminds them again, get rid of all the idols. And he even says, even if you find an idol that's covered in silver and gold, don't take it. Don't lust after it. Don't melt it down and use the gold for something else. Burn it. 
burn it entirely. Do not bring that curse into your house. It is God who has brought you this far and nobody else. Now, this may have led some to wonder, well, if God loves us so much, and I'm just going to play devil's advocate here, if, if God loves us so much, then why have we just spent the past 40 years wandering in the wilderness? And if God wants to forgive and he wants to give life, I've, I've just watched all my, gran, my grandpa, my grandma, my father, my mother, all of them are dead. And we didn't even get to bury, bury them properly. So chapter 8 is going to answer this question. And he says in verse 1 through 6, this was all to teach you. The wilderness was to teach you. First of all, it was to teach you humility. Second of all, it was to teach you to see that life comes from God and not bread alone. And isn't, don't you see how that matches with the theme of Deuteronomy? Where does life come from? Well, take care of yourself and eat bread and drink water. No, life comes from God. And God is specifically telling you, if you want life, and if you want a long life, and if you want a good long life, you obey. That's where it comes from. Man, uh, man doth live, what is, what is, and, uh, that he might make thee to know, in verse 3, that man doth not live by bread only but by every word that proceedeth out in the mouth of the Lord doth man live. The wilderness was to teach you humility. It was to teach you that life comes from God. And it was to teach you that God does care. He does care about you. Even in the wilderness, your shoes didn't wax old on your feet. Your feet didn't swell. If God didn't care about you, it would have been a lot harder. Trust me. And then 7 through 10 makes a crucial point. God's desire is to bless you. He's about to bring you into a beautiful land. He's going to give you a good land. So what is Moses bringing out? If any one of you are tempted right now to say, well, then why have we spent the past 40 years in the wilderness? Moses reminds them, if it were up to God, you would be in Canaan right now. And if you were left alone these past 40 years, you would all be dead. Not just your mom and dad and not just your grandparents. The wilderness came because of you, not because of God. The wilderness came because of your choice, not God's choice. That would have been hard for them to hear, but the truth indeed. Um, and it was to teach, it was only God's mercy that he could even use the wilderness to teach them and to care for them and to bring them through it all. And in verse 11 through 20 of chapter 8, God's um, he shows them God's blessings are always dependent on obedience. And Moses calls for them to remember, when all is said and done, when you do get into Canaan, and you are blessed, and you are multiplying and being fruitful in the land, never forget the lesson that he taught you in the wilderness. Never forget that. That obedience brings life, and disobedience brings death. Look at verse 19 and 20. Of chapter 8. And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that ye shall surely what? Perish. We're seeing the pattern here. Disobedience brings that. As the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face, so shall ye perish. Why? Because ye would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. The mistakes your fathers made will bring the same consequences to you. If you make those decisions, do not make that decision. So at this point now, the Israelites may be tempted, while some of them may be tempted to say, well, if God loves us, then why the wilderness? Well, chapter 8 squashes that. 
okay? But then also there might be some who are thinking, you know, we're not the mightiest people. We're, we, we are smaller than, and we're, we're gaining victory over everybody. We beat Og, the king of Bashan. We beat Sihon, the, the king of the Amorites. We beat him. And now God's telling us we're about to go into this land flowing with milk and honey. That's why it's full of people, because it's a good spot. And we're going to wipe them all out. We are pretty awesome. And God says, okay, let's address that as well. And so chapter 9 is all about addressing this temptation of pride that may come up in their heart. And Moses tells them, the victories that you are about to experience are not because of your righteousness. It's because of the wickedness of the Canaanites. Yes, life and victory are a consequence of obedience, but the life that you are living right now and the victories that you are going to have tomorrow are not because of your obedience. You were in the same boat as your fathers. The only reason you are here now is because God chose to be faithful to his covenant mercy. And Moses starts to remind them of these different stories. In verse 7 and 8, he says, Ever since the day you came out of Egypt, you rebelled. From the very first day we came out of Egypt, even after all that God showed you, you rebelled. And God had reason to destroy you then, but he didn't. Then he reminds them of another time in verse 9 through 21. He says, how about at Mount Sinai? Literally days after you first agreed to the Ten Commandments, I go up into the mount for 40 days and 40 nights. That's it. And what are you doing down in the valley? You're breaking the first commandment. Do you remember that? And God had a chance to destroy you all then, but he didn't. And then he reminds them of, <laughs> look in verse, uh, let's see here, if he hasn't been... Uh, <laughs> uh, straightforward yet, okay? So from the day you first came out of Egypt and the Israelites would have had to go, yeah, yeah, you're right. And how about Mount Sinai? Oh, don't bring that one up. And then he goes in verse 22. How about, how about Taborah? How about Massah? How about Longword, Kib Kibrath Hatava? And every single time he's bringing these up, they know exactly what he's talking about and they would go, mm, yep, yep. Yep, yep. How about Kadesh Barnea? The first time when God says, go into the promised land, and you said no. And all of the people at that point would have had to hang their heads in shame. And in verse 24, he says, ye have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Ouch, but true. Only because I prayed for you, Moses said those many times. Each and every time God said he, he had every right to destroy you but he didn't. So let's make something very clear, Israel. The reason you are here today and the victories that you are about to see in Canaan are not because you deserve it, is what he's bringing out. It's not because of your righteousness. It's because of God's mercy. By many accounts, you should have been destroyed because of your disobedience a long time ago. So he says in chapter 10, verse 12 and 13, you know what you need to do. And you just need to do it. You need to fear the Lord thy God. Walk in his ways. You need to love him. You need to seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. And you need to keep his commandments. That's what you need to do. And then in chapter 10, verse 14 through 22, he basically asks, why wouldn't you? Think of all that God has done for you. Even though he owns the entire world, he chose you specifically as his people. 
and he has chosen to bless you. You have only come this far because God loves you. So don't get proud and think that you are here on your own merits. Now, since we are ending here, let me bring some application before we go into chapter 11 and finish part one. The only reason you and I are here today is because God loves you and because God loves me. By many accounts, physically as well as spiritually, gentlemen, you could go back in times where because of sin, you should have died. Or on the path that you were going down, I've heard many people say, if God would have let me keep going the path that I was going down and drinking and drugs and the people that I was hanging out with, I would have died. I was living a reckless, out-of-control life. I've heard ladies say that as well. But all of us could say, I would not be here today if God didn't love me. The fact that I am here right now is proof that God loves me. Now, when I hear the words, God loves Johnny Che, I can react to that in one of two ways. First of all, I have to understand, if God loves me, that means he must love me the way that I am. Just as I am, he loves me. Romans 5, 8, but while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us to show, to commend his love toward us. While we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even though I am a sinner, even though I am vile, even though I am in every way unlovable, God loves me and he brought me this far. So that is very true. But that is a reflection of God's goodness, not mine. So I have two ways to react to when I hear God loves Johnny Che. You have two ways to react when you hear God loves you. You can either say, I'm so good that even God loves me. Or you can say, God is so good that he loves even me. And Moses is bringing that out. God loves you, yes, just the way that you are. But that's because he is good, not you. So don't get the temptation to believe that all these victories you've seen and the fact that you're alive today is because you're some perfect specimen of who an Israelite should be or who a Christian should be. Every breath we take is based from God's mercy and God's love. And if he were to take my life now, he would be justified in doing that. So chapter 11, and then we'll be done. God loved them so much, Moses says, therefore, in chapter 11, because God loves you so much, therefore, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Keep his charge and his statutes and his judgments and his commandments always. And he brings up in verse 2 through 7, he says, I'm talking to a people who have seen God work in incredible ways. Think of what he did in Egypt. Think of what he's done all throughout the wilderness. You know, you have seen how God treats obedience and you have seen how God treats disobedience. So when you go into Canaan, obey. And he says in verse 8 and 9, that ye may prolong your days in the land. And he brings up a very interesting point in the rest of the chapter. He tells them, Canaan is not like Egypt. And you need to understand that. Egypt was a land where you had to sow and you had to water. 
But Canaan is different. And look what he says in verse 11 and 12 of uh, chapter 11. But the land whither ye go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys and drinketh water of the rain of heaven, a land which the Lord thy God careth for. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it from the beginning of the year even unto the end of the year. And he continues to say, here's why I'm bringing this up. God isn't telling them that you don't have to sow and water in Canaan like you did in Egypt. Yes, you still need to sow and you need to water. But what he is telling him is in Egypt, all you had to do to have a good crop was sow and water. That's it. Just work and you'll have a good crop. Canaan isn't like that. Canaan is a land where God watches over it. A God who is just and a God who requires obedience. So if you go into Canaan, there could be nothing wrong with the way you're sowing, nothing wrong with the way you're watering, but if you don't obey, you will not have crops. If you obey, then God will bless your sowing. If you obey, then God will bless your watering. Egypt, you kind of just, well, we just have to practically sow and water and we'll reap. Canaan's not like that. God requires obedience. And if an extra homework assignment here, read Haggai chapter 1 and see a beautiful example of that. How there was a people who lost sight of God and Haggai basically tells them there's nothing wrong with the way you're sowing. There's nothing wrong with the way you're reaping. But you sow much and you bring in little. Why do you think that's happening? Because you don't have the right priorities. I just did your homework assignment for you, but please read it in Haggai chapter 1. And in verse 26 through 28, he says it's entirely up to you. When you get into Canaan, this is entirely up to you. If you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be cursed. And then he talks about a ceremony in the end, and it's a ceremony foretold that will remind them of this call to obedience. And we'll talk about it later in Deuteronomy next week. But up until now, Moses has made his point very clear, the importance of obedience how their history has been a history of disobedience and look at what that has brought them to. And the only reason they were there then is because God loved them. And church, if we do not see the application to our life in that today, we're blind. We have a history of disobedience. We have a nature bound to rebellion. And yet we are here today walking on God's green earth, breathing God's air, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. So if we're going to build off of what Brother Rusty said this morning, having received such a deliverance and having received such a blessing, as long as we have that life, give that life to him and serve him with everything that we do and say. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.